This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 84. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hey, hey, happy new year to all of you. Today we're talking about good consumerism and obviously this would have made a lot of sense before the holidays when everybody was shopping like crazy but I just didn't get to it and I wanted to relax and enjoy the holidays myself so here we go at least here in Switzerland we have a lot of sales that people go crazy I don't know about you when everything needs to go half price or even less so there are two triggers for this episode and there was a newsletter that I got from the School of Life um, that was called Good Materialism and they talk about how objects can remind us of something that is important to us and it can represent positively who we are and I wanted to expand on that. Then the second was the experience that I had with you. Um, selling brainwash and how it brought me closer to you, that's something that I did not see coming because I... I still have a little bit of that, you know, commerce is like egotistical and bad. There's still a little bit of that active in me. So it was a wonderful surprise um, when I learned that many of you were happy to give back financially, but also to share more after you had made that purchase. And that's something that I really didn't know was coming. So I thought, well, wait a minute, let's talk about consumerism and materialism that could be better better than what we have right now. So first of all, materialism is supposed to be bad because we've all heard of people who treat other people badly to get more of more money, for example. It can divert us from pursuing the things that give life lasting meaning, such as investing in relationships and fully enjoying experiences, for example. Materialism can also create a lot of waste and therefore it removes resources from other places where they're perhaps more needed. So here's a little outline for changing our view on consumerism and of course not just our view but also how we relate to it and how we act. That's only how we change it obviously. Just because these things are true, you know, the, the bad sides, the downsides, does not mean that a better version of the materialism that we practice is not possible. Each of us can become a more thoughtful consumer, and as a society, we can redefine how much space we want to give to consumerism. You know, I, I'm sure there are some of you who might argue we have to get rid of it altogether, I'm not sure how that would work or what that would look like, though I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying I find it hard to imagine. But what I don't find that hard to imagine is that if we really reprioritize and really think about what we need and want. In order to change our view on materialism, we need to become aware of what we're actually doing and thinking and feeling about it. We have to overcome some limiting beliefs become aware of existing alternatives, make conscious choices about what we want to do, and stick to that even when it gets a bit challenging. We also have to remain open to refining our view of good materialism and constantly reworking how we act and what we do. 
understanding our own materialism. Our relationship with the material world is super complex. Therefore, it might be helpful to think of separate areas, such as how do you relate to clothing, to food, to buying entertainment, buying vehicles like cars, um, traveling, that kind of thing. How do you relate to these things? Because it might not be the same. You know, you might be very frugal or minimalistic when it comes to one area of your life, but then, you know, go totally overboard without even understanding exactly why in another. Necessity. I like this idea of thinking about what is enough. And I'm thinking about it in my own life because I'm not in a place yet where I can say like, oh, I've, I've solved this question. I, I'm wondering about things like what is, what is enough you know, food to eat. Um, that's obviously our body can help us here. It can tell us when it's full and satiated and when it's not. Um, what about money? Um, how much is it enough to save? How much is it enough to spend? Um, that's also true for information. In the last two years, I've drastically cut down on the stuff I read, the stuff I watch, um, probably not the stuff I listen to. I just love podcasts and audiobooks, so I'm full on on those. But everything else I've reduced. And the reason is that I said to myself, you know what? I want to actually remember and relate and engage to the information that I consume. I don't want to just stuff it all into my brain without doing it, anything with it. That's kind of like eating food that you're not even chewing. You know, you're just, it, it, it kind of hurts when you swallow it and, and you'll have problems digesting it. And I believe, although this is obviously not scientific, that the same is probably true for our brain as well. And what if we want to get more philosophical? You know, what is enough love? What is enough kindness? And of course, courage. Courage is very important, especially in times, in times like these. How do we distinguish between needs and wants? Again, it's a tough one, and I haven't figured out a crystal clear answer myself, but I do find that past experiences are super helpful in thinking about those distinctions. What does it, what does enough feel like? In all these different areas of life that we just talked about, how does it feel when you have enough clothes? How does it feel when you feel that you have enough money? And what does it tell us if we don't know that feeling, you know? And, and I have that, that I see that I have a varied and complex relationship because, for example, I have more than enough clothes. And I don't even have that many clothes. Um, it's, it's just, if it were for me, I would probably walk around in two or three t-shirts um, each week. Um, I, I change it pretty much every day because I have to, I feel like it here. But... I don't need more, and I'm I'm satisfied. I'm happy. I'm not thinking about more clothes at all. But I don't. I I only have like a fleeting sense of what it feels like to have enough money, and that is crazy because I live in one of the richest countries in the world, you know. And that shows us that these things are not necessarily always tied to objective reality. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you belong to the 2% of the richest people in the whole world compared to everybody else. And yet we don't know what enough means. And that is indicative of the fact that we need to 
deal with it. It's not necessarily always something that somebody else has to deal with. Of course, there are minimums. Of course, if you have to work three or four jobs just to even, you know, pay the rent, the food and gas and stuff, there's something wrong with that. And I would never argue about that. And I don't think we should use these ideas to downplay actual suffering. But a lot of the time, it's also the fact that we do have enough, especially if we compare ourselves to other people in other places of the world or other historical periods. And and then we notice, oh, it's it's a mindset thing that we need to change. So what are our motives for consumption? Roughly speaking, we are either pursuing something good, like pleasure, absorption, or meaning, or we're avoiding something bad, like an unpleasant emotion such as boredom or anxiety. We're avoiding exclusion by conforming. We don't want to stick out, so we just buy something similar like everybody else has, and we keep up with the Joneses, even though we don't care about the Joneses at all. We might avoid memories, you know, horrible memories we don't want to think about if we're just sitting at home, uh, so we go to mall. We might try to avoid fears about the future, or the f- feeling, a l- feeling, not feeling, <laughs> feeling a lack of love or support or recognition these are all things that make us buy stuff and experiences and as i said i'm in the middle of this journey too um if i buy or consume things to avoid something i'm at that very moment depriving my body my mind and my heart of the thing that would actually solve the problem not just you know Put a little bit of plas- a plaster on it, so to speak, and that's something that I—that's a relatively new thought that I just figured out lately. That when I try to soothe myself with things that are actually not designed to take care of the problem that I have, I'm at the same time depriving myself of the real, actual solution. And those real, actual solutions are better coping mechanisms more self-love, more compassion, a different lens, um, different perspective, and healthier relationships or occupations. Now, as I said before, so we can actually embark on this journey and make some real progress. We also need to leave some limiting beliefs behind. One of them that I encounter all the time is you can't make money doing good. And overall, it's probably true that bankers are richer than, I don't know, Greenpeace, sorry, not intentional, Um, that Greenpeace um, activists obviously probably earn less, you know, and, but if you think about it, they're doctors and dentists um, who do important work and they earn fairly well. So it is therefore absolutely possible to ethically make money and If we claim that it's not, we have chosen the easy route, which is holding on to that belief, not changing anything about ourselves, as opposed to actually investigating and trying out something new and reconciling our values with wealth. Another limiting belief is this idea that money corrupts people. 
And we have to learn to distinguish uh, what they call in science correlation from causation. That means just because making lots of money and being a jerk go hand in hand sometimes, it doesn't mean that one causes the other. Rather, it seems that money amplifies what is already there. So if you care for others, you probably spend on others even when you have a lot of money. And if you don't, you probably won't even if you win the lottery. If we believe this to be true, then nothing, you know, and this being that money corrupts people, then nothing can really save the world at all because the moment somebody gets money, they will magically turn bad and we, you know, might as well just jump off a cliff. Another thing we have to overcome is this idea that we have to choose between enjoying the company of people or the company of objects, of, of um, you know, a, a nice car or something. And there's no rational reason why we can't have nice things and still care about other people. Actually, if we treat people and objects with care, we'll get more joy and meaning out of both of them. Um, and that's something that, for example, my mom, she's very, very good with objects. She wants to keep the things that she buys for the rest of her life because she loves those things. And I think if you have that relationship with your, you know, your furniture or whatever it is, you're probably a little bit more tender with people as well. So we don't have to choose between people and money or between people and objects. And the challenge is to know when to prioritize what and that has to do with the development of wisdom. It has nothing to do with, you know, choosing one or the other. Then this uh, idea of I am worth it. Um, we can express love and self-love through things we buy. And that is true. But if that is our only way to do that, chances are that we're not getting or giving what is needed the most. So what could a different consumerism or materialism look like? Well, we would have to start with heightened awareness. What if we fought our impulses less and harnessed them more? So I would define greed as a strong desire without a concept of what enough is. Instead of fighting greedy impulses and trying to extinguish these impulses, we would instead ask the following kinds of questions. What things are worth a sustained focus and a strong desire? If we think about it from a biological perspective, strong desire is gratifying because of the release of dopamine and other feel-good neurotransmitters which are marinating our brain. But if we manage to, challenge, uh, to channel these strong desires towards something worthwhile, we get the dopamine and less of the emptiness. Another question we can ask ourselves is, in which area of my life do I have enough? And can I learn from that to ensure that I only strive for that? And I'm not trapped in an endless loop of desire that goes absolutely nowhere. Negative emotions or the lack of positive emotions can be super helpful here. So I know, for example, in my own life that I should stop and pause doing something if my nat natural appreciation stops. If it's just another dinner uh, 
running race or movie night, then maybe we've had enough for a while. And if we refrain from it for a while, we will probably appreciate it more the next time we have it. And that way we know, you know, I think our emotions are really helpful indicators and they're sometimes better than thinking things through. Sometimes emotions are ahead of our brain, so to speak. Paying attention to the body is also always a good idea. We all know what it feels like to have eaten enough. And we also know, if we pay attention to that, what it feels like the stage just before that and the stage before that. So once we know exactly what that feels like, we can stop with the overeating. And similarly, we can do that with other things as well. It's also important, for example, when we notice that our attention is wavering, then maybe we've had enough information And that way we can learn about what enough is in all different areas of our life. Now, as I said at the beginning of the episode, according to the School of Life, and I happen to agree with them, objects can be reminders of treasured experiences, loved ones we cherish or people we admire. They can remind us of values and goals we aspire to and... What if pretty much all the objects we had would stand for something that we love and respect? Think about it for a minute. We would take better care of each and every object and each and every experience because it would be something, a symbol of something that's important. And that would also reduce waste because why buy something every six months if you love it so much? that you want to keep it for the rest of your life. Appreciative relationships. Good consumerism would mean that what we consume helps us appreciate and foster relationships. It would help us to build new rewarding relationships through shared experiences, for example, or mutually beneficial transactions. It would also strengthen existing relationship through those shared experiences or thoughtful gifts, for example. What we buy can also be a force for social good. There is this thing called social entrepreneurship where entrepreneurs don't only want to make money and profits, but they want to make money and profits while solving an urgent need or a problem that society faces. And products which are both profitable and positive for the people who use them, the environment, and society. That's what social entrepreneurship is about. And just to make an example, a solar panel, for example, it doesn't sound like a big deal, you know, if you buy a solar panel. But if you live in a remote part of Africa and you need to ride your motorcycle for three hours just to charge your phone, those are three hours you can't work or take care of your family, you know. Now, one alternative energy source in the village can determine whether a kid or tons of kids have enough light to do their homework and stuff like that. So these things hugely matter. And if we consciously choose to buy products, for example, buy social entrepreneurs, we help that part of the world grow. Similar thing is impact investing. Now, this is really something that is coming, and this is the desire to make money 
based on investments that are good for society. And this the examples include education funds or research funds where people pool money and then make sure that that they will invest in that. And the returns are actually, as far as I can tell, right now they seem to be a little bit bigger than conventional returns simply because these things are really growth markets. And, you know, people, I know that a lot of people are cynical about it, but, you know, more and more of the global rich are looking for ways to earn money and do good at the same time. And I know this because I work for a bank and they have created an impact investing division for that reason. And unlike those fake, you know, eco-friendly investment opportunities that we had in the past, these things are actually what it seems like, you know, what it looks like on a tin. And I have a lot of respect for the work of um, non-governmental organizations and charities, but they cannot shoulder the financial commitment that is needed to solve some of those global problems that we have. They cannot finance the infrastructure needed in some places in Africa, Asia, uh, Latin America. And when when the economy, basically Wall Street, so to speak, starts to reroute more and more of their money to things like that, that's when big change is actually possible. So here are a couple of action steps. The first will be to think of three aspects of good consumerism that resonated the most with you that I just described and try to see what you can do to implement that in your life. Instead of feeling helpless about the things you feel unable to change, focus on things that you can influence now and take little but sustainable steps to change that. Spend $10 in a way you usually don't that you think is good materialism. And if you happen to enjoy that, you can maybe start doing it every week. And if you have a little bit of more money, maybe $10 every day. And that way we can change a lot. Buy one object that reminds you of something that's important to you, a value that you hold, a person, something like that. And if you're really into it, commit to repeatable ways to make sure that the money you spend is spent well. How long does a similar purchase, you know, how long has it given you joy in the past? If, um, if for example, with me, I know that buying tech gadgets like a, an e-reader does not make me happy at it just doesn't. It it always sounds better than it ends up being. And I know that now. You can think about, well, can I upgrade this purchase to provide me with absorption as opposed to just simple, you know, you use it and then it's gone kind of thing. How does this relate to your values? Can you buy an experience instead of an object? Can you improve a relationship with this purchase? And if so, how? Uh, can this remind you of something important? And if you're interested in objects and materialism and all of that, you can also listen to episode 68, which was on minimalism. Okay, so uh, that's that. Don't forget the easy path is to hold on to pessimistic views. It takes courage and effort to not only challenge those beliefs, but then seek out those examples in the world. Now, I'm going to read you a few reviews, but before I do that, I want to let you know that after the reviews, I'll play you one of the ads that I created over the holidays, and I hope it's a little bit more fun than the ads that you are used to maybe hearing. All right, so here we go. 
wonderfully interesting and inspiring from S77W from the UK. Wonderfully interesting and inspiring. Kristen has become a constant companion as I listen through the back catalogue of her material. I have liked each guest so far, and the theme shows. I am in a happier place after each show as it leaves me reflecting upon each topic for some time afterwards, thanks mainly to the questions asked. Kristen has also grown in her presentation skills and editing skills, and I cannot recommend this show enough. It has inspired me to learn more on the huge topic of positive psychology. Hey, um, S7W, I am happy to be part of your happy place, and I hope you had a good time researching the positive psychology topics that I haven't covered yet here. And also thanks for your comments on my editing skills. I, I, I'm really too close um, to, to judge that. I, I feel I've learned a little bit, but I don't really don't know. But it's nice if you notice it. So thank you very much. Fantastic by Rini Rice from the UK as well. And it says, I couldn't understand why I'd stopped running or didn't have the willpower to stop eating bad food. This podcast has given me food for thought. And I have really enjoyed understanding my own behavior and how to tackle things. It makes you feel great to understand. Hey, uh, Rini Rice, it sounds like we have a fellow Hermione thing, you know, going on here where we just learn for the joy of understanding. And, you know, uh, bless you. Bless you and everybody who loves learning for learning's sake, and I'm glad that you enjoy it. And last but not least, from Gardenia from Dubai, it says, Happier. Thank you, Kristen, for not only sharing life-changing information in an accessible way, but for sharing your personal experience in such a genuine and authentic way. Your show is what real happiness looks like if, looks like if it's lived out day by day. I'm happier in Dubai. Well, shukran, Gardenia. I had so much fun when I was in Dubai um, in uh, February 2016, so it's great to think that someone down there is tuning in regularly. Take care, everybody, and um, yeah, have fun with Myrtle. Meet Myrtle now. All right, so I played Brainwash to Myrtle, and here's what she said. As far as I'm concerned, all this poverty-cock babble is about as useful as a three-legged bobcat trying to bury its poop on a frozen lake. Oh man, Myrtle, come on. I was hoping for something more positive, you know, to, uh, to sell more books, you know. You wait, young lady. Well, I'll be a monkey's auntie if this fixes anybody, but I do say I appreciated the wildlife. In fact, I created the Brainwashed Guide to Wild Creatures and Imaginative Objectives. You see, if you're not as careful, you can miss all the references, focus on all your crazy shit and all. Uh, Myrtle, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to keep the show clean. Oh, yes. Okay. I was saying the book has everything. Domestic animals, wild animals, and I believe there were some references to the Pope as well. Oh, that's very kind, Myrtle. Um, so, well, any other reasons why people should, um, buy it? Oh, yes. Plenty. I mean, like almost all the narrators in there. 
there's a lab scientist from California, a British documentary filmmaker, and I think I also heard that Sebastian Crabbe from Ariel the Mermaid talking something about body odor and a funky accent. I took the book to my bingo club. The place went all firecracker and frog's legs over it, I tell you that. One of the nurses had to step in, there was just too much excitement. First time bingo was interrupted and ended prematurely. In that way, I believe it was quite historical, so well done, sugar honey. Could you tell people where they could get it, Myrtle? You know, for those who want a little bit more excitement at their retirement home, for example? Well, sure, love. It's gum.co slash brainwash. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at Kristen at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengthphoenix.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt. <laughs>